You are now listening to the London International Christian Church Podcast. Amen! What an awesome worship service we've had this weekend. You can be turning your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 6. We dig right on in. I'm so encouraged. Wasn't it awesome seeing Tommy Wan Vien appointed as an evangelist from his ministry leader? So encouraging to see the miracles in the European world sector. Uh, thank you so much, Ashley and Caspar, for an incredible communion. Wow. Uh, I don't know what to say, really. I mean, everybody, I mean, Kevin's contribution was, oh, my goodness. Uh, sorry, guys. I didn't tell him any of that. I mean, he's just, he, he wasn't your brother. He was a preacher, actually. Um, but uh, I'm so grateful for so many of you that have served behind the scenes, the sound team, uh, those who've worked. I know Jen Watkins has worked with the venue. Uh, you all deserve a round of applause who've put this weekend together. It's been so great. It's been awesome to have uh, everybody down, uh, whether it's Birmingham, whether it's Paris. Uh, I've got a new awesome uh, spiritual big sister in the Lord. Dorothy's come down from, uh, from Munich, Germany. And She's got this beautiful family in the front. Her son, I think, wants to be a preacher. I mean, God is moving in Europe. Um, The title I've been given is Fighting the Good Fight. Fighting the Good Fight. And I I just got to remember some of the spiritual hits from this weekend. I don't know if you wrote wrote down everything you learned this weekend. You know, I posted, uh, dare we say, the 2019 greatest hits from the European uh, world sector winter workshop. Uh, we learned from Anthony that you need to get God's heart. We also learned from Anthony that you need to do what you're told and God will fight for you. We learned from Frank Similani to set aside your pride and stop trying to look good. We learned from my lovely wife, Michelle, that our thoughts are the architects of our destiny and we've got to demolish strongholds. She also taught us that in 2019, it's time to have a beast mode mentality. That's dangerous when you get sisters saying stuff like that right there. She also said, hey, it's time for us to stop making our sin look sophisticated. I'm still trying to work on that one, sweetheart. Miriam taught us rationalization is an act of Satan. She also taught us that rationalization is choosing your mind over the word of God. We learned from Colby that Satan doesn't care what you worship as long as it's not God. We learned from Tommy Wah to stop being diplomatic and start being a disciple. We also learned from Tommy Wah that sleep is the greatest risk to your life. You can die in your sleep. So wake up and fulfill your destiny. Tommy Wah told us, he said, you need to make a list of everything in your life that doesn't contribute to loving God and get rid of it. I mean, Colby said, hey, God is consistent. You also are consistent because you were made in the image of God. Now, the question is, what are you consistent in? (laughs) John said, hey, you need to have a dream that makes you sweat. Kevin said, you know, when I sin, I don't need your pity. I need some discipling. He also said, Satan only has one weapon, sin. Caspar said, hey, when's the last time you got cut while sharpening your sword? Chris Worth says, hey, man. (laughs) Exodus 32 teaches that our prayers comfort God. (laughs) 
and I don't know, I got so many more. Let me tell you something. Those are some fighting words right there. Amen? Now, uh, today's lesson here is, uh, is, is a powerful one. Uh, I, I think fighting the good fight is a, is a great fight. A lot of fights you shouldn't be fighting. Of course, there's a guy named Will who says, hey, I want to give up the battle. I don't want to get in the battle. I don't want to go in the army because every time I go out there, they're saying fire at Will. <laughs> Will. Will said that. I pray. Yeah, fire at Will. That's what he said. Of course, we got to be spiritual boxers coming out of this with those fighting words. And um, I think, you know, uh, a boxer's favorite part of the joke is usually the punchline. That's, that's Michael Hart wanted me to share that with you right there. And uh, one man said this. He says, you know, I got home last night and my wife demanded that I, I take her someplace that's really, really expensive. So I took her to the gas station. <laughs> and that's when the fight started. <laughs> You know, I tell you what, I, I, I grew up loving a good fight. And uh, many of you may or may not know, I actually, there was a time in high school I actually got bullied. And uh, it was kind of crazy. The bully would say nasty things to me, and I'd say nasty things to the bully. And the bully would say bad things to me, and I would say bad things to the bully. And the bully would say this, and I would say that. It went on for a while. One day the bully slapped me. <laughs> just, just right upside and bang, hits me. I hit the bully back, bang. <laughs> the bully hits me again, bang. And I hit the bully back. And the teacher's looking at me. It's like, wow, now we're fighting. And I got the last hit, and I go, boom, and I, and I, and I slapped the bully, and the bully never, never, that's the last time that, that girl ever, ever hit me. <laughs> and the sad thing is it's actually a true story. Okay, that's what's sad. Uh, I, don't, I don't hit on the sisters now. I, I just love on the sisters. I'm fired up. I'm ready to get in the good fight. First Timothy chapter 6. You guys with me here? It says this in verse 11. It says, but you, man of God. Flee from all this. Don't you love that? He says to Timothy, he calls him a man of God. And, of course, we know that this is the only time, he's the only guy that's called a man of God in the New Testament. No one in the New Testament is called a man of God but Timothy. The only guys that get called man of God are, are, are Moses, David, even Joshua, who we're going to look at today. I want to look at a couple of fighters today in the word of God. He says, you, man of God, flee from all this. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight. The good fight of faith. And the church said, Amen. that is the title. And you know what's so powerful about this is that uh, Tim, Paul had tried to tell Timothy over and over and over and over again that he needed to really fight off all the Gnosticism that started creeping into the church. He said, what is Gnosticism? It's just weird teaching that matter is evil and the spirit is good. And since Jesus was made in a man and he was a physical person, he is technically matter. And since Jesus is matter and God is spirit, Jesus couldn't have been God because matter is evil. Basically, Jesus is not God. And they had a really clever way of coming up with this quote-unquote deep wisdom of those who really know the word of God. And this Gnostic heresy would creep on in and really damage the churches. And Paul told Timothy, you need to fight the good fight of faith and drive all that stuff out. Let me tell you something. Caspar, actually, Caspar was one of the first guys. When we came to plant the church, Caspar was one of the first young men that said, bro, I want to fight the good fight of faith. And he's still fighting the good fight. He just got an incredible wife next to him. And yes, we've had to deal with, dare we say, a little bit of Gnosticism in the European world sector. But we are ready. We've got fighting words and we're ready to battle. 
One of my greatest fighters in the Bible is uh, Elijah. You like him? You know what Elijah said when he had 400 prophets of Baal and then another 400? He had about 800 negative prophets, negative enemies coming against him. He goes to everyone and he says in 1 Kings chapter 18, he says, how long will you waver between two opinions? But I love some of the other translations. In the New Living Translation in 1 Kings chapter 18, it says, then Elijah stood in front of him and he says, how much longer will you waver hobbling along between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. Fail is God, then follow him. But the people were completely silent. Of course, I love the message version of this scripture. In 1 Kings 18, 21, again, the message version, he says this here. Elijah challenged them. How long are you going to sit on the fence? You know, if you're in a battle, the most dangerous place is to be neutral. One man said the hottest places in hell are reserved for those who maintain their neutrality in the time of moral crises. He says, how long are you going to sit on the fence? If God is real and the real God, follow him. If it's Baal, follow him. Make up your minds. He says, if God is an autonomous God with an autonomous fellowship, with autonomous people, with autonomous preaching, how long are you going to sit on the fence? How long are you going to waver? How long are you going to hobble along? I'm so glad that we are in a Bible church. You know we're in a dangerous and a weird and a wicked generation when one of our five core convictions is really radical. We're a Bible church. That's not radical. And it's sad that it is nowadays. It's sad that when we say we believe in central leadership, that that's really radical. Whoa, there's one person who at the end of the day makes a decision. Yes, you have that in a marriage. Husband, wife, honey, Nando's, McDonald's. Okay, I'm making a decision. Neither. <laughs> We're going to eat at home. you got to have that. <laughs> you know what I mean? I believe in evangelization of the nations in this generation. We need it. We need to evangelize the nations. The world is telling us now that, I mean, in some parts of the world, they're saying, hey, I'm going to tell you how to actually address someone, even though it is not their biological makeup. If someone feels like this, then you need to, we're gender uh, pronouns, we're going to change the pronouns where you can go to jail if you call someone a man and call someone a woman, even if they, they don't like that. That's where we're headed. That's what kind of fight we're in. We're in a, we're in a battle of ideas in some, some sense. And yet my, my feeling is, is very simple. A man is a man. A woman is a woman. It doesn't matter how you feel. You can't feel like something that's not your biological makeup. I mean, I can't feel like a cup of coffee. I'm about as dark as one, but, you know, I just can't. I'm not a cup of coffee. I, 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 we're in trouble. We've really not got to waver. I want to challenge you. I mean, let's not leave this winter workshop wavering between two opinions. Let's not leave this winter workshop praying about what's been written, as dare we say, told, or, 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 as Daniel says in Daniel chapter 5, he says, the writing is on the wall. The writing is on the wall. For some of us in this room today, the writing is on the wall. Don't waver between two opinions. Don't hobble along. Don't sit on the fence. Amen?
Joshua chapter 12. Joshua chapter uh, 10, I'm sorry. We're going to be looking at Joshua. Elijah was a great fighter right there. I won't go through his whole text. I won't keep you here for too long, only a couple hours. And um, we'll pick it up in Joshua. Uh, Joshua is an incredible, I mean, it's a great, it's, it's, Joshua's a book of battles. You know how many battles are in the book of Joshua? 31 battles. How many days in the, in the month? Probably about 31, right? <laughs> Got a different battle every day. Joshua faced 31 battles. Now, some people try to break it down and kind of lump some in with another. But if you actually look at Joshua chapter 12 in verse 24, this one actually gives us the, the number of enemies he, ha- he actually wound up defeating. It says, it goes through the whole list of these guys, and it lists all the different individuals, King Eglon, King Gezar, King Debir. And then right down in verse 24, it says, King Tirzah, 31 kings in all. Joshua took out 31 different enemies that were fighting against him. 31 different battles. You know how many battles Joshua lost? One. He actually did lose a battle. In a fight, you're going to lose sometimes. Um, I, I don't know about you. I mean, this, this whole workshop, I, I go, okay, I'm losing that battle. Losing that battle. Okay, I'm, I'm not Joshua yet, but I, I want to be like Joshua. I want to be able to lo- almost win every single battle. And what's so powerful about the one battle that he lost. Now, for all of us in this room, I'm going to test your Bible knowledge or, I mean, or, or accept your understanding of the Bible and, and, and just kind of assume you know uh, the Battle of Jericho. You're a little quiet in the back there. Maybe we need to read the whole deal. Yeah, Joshua won the Battle of Jericho, okay? Joshua won the Battle of Jericho. He and God and the people, they won the Battle of Jericho. So you're coming off this great victory, and then what happens? They go to a smaller city, and they lose. A a smaller battle, and they lose. Isn't that crazy? You You can win a big battle, and then you go to the smaller battle, and you lose it. You say, well, why did they lose the battle? It was obviously because they did not have enough fighting men. There's not enough interns in the church. That's not why. You say, oh, it was because of Joshua. He wasn't as powerful a preacher. I mean, he couldn't preach like, like Tommy Wah or like Colby or, or like Frank. No, it had nothing to do with the sermon. Say so it was because of, you know, it just, it just didn't have the resources. You know, the only battle, this is very convicting. The only battle that Joshua lost in all 31 You know why he lost it? Secret sin. Unconfessed sin. That's the reason why, that's the only one he lost. All the rest of them he won. But the one that really took him out is that secret sin. I I learned, I go, wow, you know what? You can win a lot of battles in life. But the one that really gets you, or the one that's highlighted here is that secret sin, that sin that you just don't get open about. And we know the guy was hurting because his name was Achan. It was Achan. I love to see, look in a man's eyes, a woman's eyes, to see if the joy of the Lord is there. If it's not, sometimes they could be Achan. They could be hurting. You could be hurting. And I, I do believe that this is a great, just opener, just going, wow. I mean, is there any unconfessed sin in your life? Is that the one battle that God could see, Satan could see, and go, wow, that's the one that I'm going to get you with? When you don't confess sin, it messes up everything. It changes your view of everything. It makes you feel insecure when you shouldn't. It makes you feel a little bit too confident when you shouldn't. I mean, all these different things. 
I've done them all. I'm like, yeah, I'm doing awesome. I'm feeling like I'm doing awesome. And God's like, I'm going to make you sick. You're not doing awesome. You're, you're doing okay. Now, now you're really, you know. And so this unconfessed sin was the one battle that Joshua lost. You know, in Psalms 32, let's look at that, actually. You guys with me here? We're just going to try to preach the word today. Psalms chapter 32. The Bible says this here in verse 3. He says, says, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through all my groaning all day long. <laughs> says I'm having bone problems. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. You ever felt the hand of God on you? He says, my strength was sap as in the heat of summer. You know, when you have unconfessed sin, you actually get tired. That's what the scriptures teach. That when you got that unconfessed sin in your life, it actually makes you tired. Whether it's an unconfessed impurity, unconfessed attitude, unconfessed bitterness, unconfessed whatever. You overate. Whatever you did, it's unconfessed. You get tired. <laughs> he says, my strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Isn't that something that your strength can be sapped as in the heat of summer when it's ice cold outside? And it is getting colder, is it not? He says, then I acknowledge my sin to who? To you. Verse 5. You guys reading the Bible with me here? He says, I acknowledge my sin to you. And did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. And the church said, Amen. I just want to give you a challenge. Just get open, whatever you haven't gotten open about. Just confess it. Step up to the throne of grace with confidence. God longs to forgive you. He wants you to fight the good fight. Sometimes that's fighting really your pride or fighting your emotions or fighting, fighting that sin that really has not come out. And everyone else is wondering why you're not doing well spiritually and you actually are hurting yourself by just not being open. That's what I love about the kingdom of God. You can confess all your sins. You can't do that outside of the church. Can you imagine going to your employer and confessing all your, your sins? You'd be looking for a job the next day. You can't do that. But in the kingdom, you can confess all your sins and people think you're awesome. I remember when confessing all my sins and people were like, wow, you're so humble. I was like, really? I'm so evil. But now I feel light and I can go do something. You know, it's, it's, it's off my chest. I won that battle. Let this not be a year where you lose the battle because of unconfessed sin. But you know what Joshua did with the one battle that he lost? Turn to J uh, Joshua chapter 8. Joshua chapter 8. What did, jo what did he do with the one battle that he lost? And we know what that one was. That was in A.I. Okay, he lost that battle because of the unconfessed sin. But in Joshua chapter 8, the Bible says, we won't read the whole thing, but in verse 28, it says, So Joshua burned Ai and made a permanent heap of ruins, a desolate place to this day. And the church said, he went back for a rematch. And he got the victory. You know, you, you, may, have, you may have lost some battles in 2019. I, I lost some battles. I think I lost some battles. I lost, some, I lost a couple of battles. I didn't get the ICC in. I didn't get that one. But, you know, I said, you know, it's 2019, and I'm coming back for a rematch, baby. I am coming back for a rematch. I've already corrected Jen on a spelling error. I'm growing in the Lord right there. I mean, this is deep. When me, oh, I am correcting Jen Watkins on a spelling error, and I actually was right. Now, this is a little bit shameless here, but I am a disciple. Please forgive me. Um, I'll take it when I can get it. I kind of want to talk about this whole principle of a rematch for a second here. 
We know what a rematch is. You want to get back in the battle. You lost. First of all, you got to say you lost. <laughs> you know, you got to say that. I lost. I did terrible with my dating. I was worldly. I only picked sisters that I physically liked. I, didn't, I wasn't attracted to humility. So I'm single. I lost. I lost. I lost. I'm a sister that does things that are shameful to mention. And I, I just gave into it. And I just needed to feel this, this, this feeling. Um, and I didn't get that from God. And I lost that battle. Right? I'm, mar- I'm married. I'm old. I've given into this, this, this thing. I'm old. And I've just, I just quit. I've given up. I lost. Campus. Whoa. No dreams for me. You know what that is. The Bible says where there's no vision, the people perish. Where there's no vision, the people cast off restraint. Meaning you stop doing awesome things. You cast off discipline because you don't have vision for your life. Because maybe your marriage was your vision and now you're married, and you, you know, and it's like, okay, amen. It's awesome. You know, amen. You know. Now, I love Michelle. She's probably the most beautiful woman I've ever seen in my entire life. Um, she's, she's awesome. I mean, she gets beautiful every year, but um, I'm getting nervous, actually, a little bit. I'm going, man, she's getting, like, better looking and better looking and better looking. And, and I'm, like, gray hair and gray hair and getting old. I'm like, oh, man, I got to keep up with this woman. I got to keep her going. Um, but there's nothing like my relationship with God. And she knows that. I mean, I, I love my wife, but I, I, I tell you, she, she does not rival my relationship with God. I go, I got to stay in there with the Lord. I got to stay in there. And the areas where I lost battles, I want to rematch. Uh, I'm inspired by individuals that say, you know what, Satan, I've taken your best blow, but I'm back for a rematch. Yeah. I lo- I, you know, I love our sister. Uh, our, she, you know, she's down from Munich, Germany. She got baptized right here. Uh, Dorothy, she's sitting right in the front row right there. She got baptized 1987. And she's had some ups and downs, and there's been some challenges, and she said, you know what, I'm coming back to London for a rematch. Satan, you've tried to take me. I'm coming back for a rematch. But one of the individuals that I'm, I'm inspired by is a brother by the name of Cassell. You know why I'm inspired? Because he's fighting the good fight of faith. He's fighting the good fight. And you know, sometimes you lose battles. Now, sometimes it's because you haven't confessed sin. Sometimes you're in a relationship where there's some unconfessed sin. Sometimes you're in a Bible talk. Sometimes you're in a church, and you lose a battle. But you got to come back like Joshua for a rematch. You know, Cassell had a few things going on in his life. Let me just read you his story. He says, I was baptized in 2006. I was a senior at Syracuse University, and I was baptized by Andrew Smelly. Amen. Before declaring that Jesus to be Lord, I broke up from a pretty emotional relationship I was failing most of my classes, and I was on suicide watch. But God fought for me. He showed me his word through the brothers, and I became a disciple. Fight doesn't stop there. Fight doesn't stop just because you got baptized. Since there wasn't a discipling church in New York City at the time, I stayed in Syracuse until 2008 when I was called to the mission team in Washington, D.C. There I started dating my ex-wife ex-wife, you hear where the story's going, I started dating my ex-wife and began an internship within the church. The dream to serve the full-time ministry became a reality. In 2010, God called myself and my wife at the time, or or then it was actually girlfriend, he says, uh, and four of us, close friends, to join and train for the uh, Johannesburg mission team. Things began to be hard. God blessed some of our efforts as we began to build a great campus ministry. God called us again back to the east 
and we went to the East Coast for the summer of 2011. I returned to Syracuse to finish my coursework. I got married there. I then moved to New York City a year later. In the summer of 2014, the call to Johannesburg came again, and my wife at the time and I were asked to come to L.A. with the Smellies to train. So things are pretty awesome right here, right? From the summer of 2014 to December 2015 was the hardest time of my life. My aspirations for the ministry just didn't work out. As a result, I fell into deep depression. I was diagnosed with major depression twice. My wife also became depressed. We had a hard time finding work. Housing for our first three months was challenging. When we did find housing, it was infested with bed bugs. And since we couldn't afford to break the lease and move out, we had to endure it for over a year. This meant we couldn't go to people's houses, homes, people couldn't come visit us. And because of my depression, I became emotionally unavailable to my wife, embittered by her, embittered to God. I was impure, I was lazy, I was conceited, I was angry. My wife turned to friendship in the world. I thought about leaving at this point for myself, but I knew that I wouldn't last very long. And knowing I almost took my life in the world previously, I didn't do this. This path eventually led to her committing adultery as a disciple. Her emotional abandonment, my unresolved feelings with her and other disciples, in combination with hearing my sisters being diagnosed with liver cancer, led me to harming myself, spending my nice spiritual birthday in the emergency room. Once again, suicide watch. I returned to New York City in 2015, getting everything together that I'd given up, my job, so on and so forth. After the divorce was legalized, my ex-wife moved out, and with the help of my best friends, I began to win my joy in Christ back. They helped me. They helped me baptize three people. And much, much more, recently, I've started dating in the kingdom of God. God has called me to help men who struggle with depression and sadness. I would say that that's a man who's come back for a rematch. You know what happens after the Lord shows us himself through a man like that? You know what comes after that kind of a story? What's your excuse? Right? And I really mean that. What is your excuse? Wow, what an example of defeat after defeat after defeat. And a man who says, I'm coming back for the rematch. This is what fires me up about Anthony and Cassidy. Not one, two miscarriages. Three. You know, you know what Cassidy's heart is? I'm doing my makeup. I'm getting dressed. And I'm coming back for a rematch. I'm coming back. I'm coming back. Coming back for a rematch. You know, I love Minnow and Euclid. They were in the ICLC, and sadly, it drifted away from God. And they started seeing a lot of defeats. They moved to London. They've been here the whole time. But they're going to be joining Tommy Watt and VN. They're going back to Amsterdam. They're going back for a rematch. They're going back for a rematch. And it's not just them. Renee and Anita are also going back for a rematch. 
You know, I just want to ask you, where do you need to say to God, hey, devil, I want to rematch with you. God, strengthen me once more. I want to rematch. 2019 is going to be a different year in the battle for my purity. 2019 is going to be a different year in the battle for my discipline. 2019 is going to be a different year in the battle for imitation. 2019 is going to be a different year in the battle for my emotions. Feelings are really fickle. You know that? They show up when you don't need them, and they're not there when you do. They're fickle. I just said, I got to preach from the heart today, you guys. You know how feelings are. They show up when you don't need feelings. You're sitting on the tube. You had a quiet time. There's nothing wrong. And the person looks like they could be open. You're getting ready to share your faith, and then feelings show up. Fear shows up. <laughs> Nothing happened to you. But the feelings show up all of a sudden. And there's no, I mean, the kids are good, and there's no, and then all, you know, feelings, they show up. And then you're like, oh, but, before then they get off the train. And feelings have won. And then you got, you, you know, okay, I'm getting up. Everybody's like, I'm getting up at 4 a.m., 3 a.m., 4 a.m. I mean, we might as well just stay up all night, some of us. 3 a.m., 2 a.m. I mean, make sure you guys get enough rest here. <laughs> no sleep. We don't sleep. <laughs> You're going to die. But let's just say you do take the challenge and you say, I'm going to get up at 5 o'clock in the morning. And guess what? Where are those feelings then? They don't show up. Don't you wish some incredible joy would show up at 5 a.m.? Some feelings, some excitement, some feelings that show up 5 a.m. There you are. Thank you. Get me out of bed. Make me go share my faith. Make me come to church on time. Thank you, feelings. But guess what? Feelings are fickle. The only thing that, you, that will keep you in the fight is commitment. And let me tell you something. The longer you're committed, the more the right feelings will come. We need to be a church of commitment, not just excitement. Excitement fades. Commitment is forever. Conviction is forever. Now, I've got commitment and excitement for Michelle. I, I, neither one of them have left. She's lost her excitement for me, but amen. She's committed. She's committed. She's committed. So we're, we're good to go. We're, okay, okay, that's true, that's true. Amen. That was another shameless, shameless, shameless years beast mode this year. So let's get to it. Okay, point number one. <laughs> when the odds are stacked up against you, God will fight for you. Joshua chapter 10. When the odds are stacked against you, God will fight for you. I, I need you guys to be with me on that one. When the odds are stacked against you, God will fight for you. When the odds are stacked against you, God will fight for you. When the odds are stacked against you, God will fight for you. If you're visiting for the first time, when the odds are stacked against you, God will fight for you. If you've been here for a long time and you haven't really seen him show up, don't you worry. When the odds are stacked against you, God will fight for you. Let's check it out. Joshua chapter, let's look at one of the battles here. Joshua chapter 10, verse 1. You guys with me? It says this here in verse 1. Now, Donabezek, king of Jerusalem, Heard that Joshua had taken Ai and totally destroyed it. Doing to Ai and its king as he had done to Jericho and its king. I mean, Joshua had that rematch, and people start hearing about it. And it says, and the people of Gibeon made a treaty of peace with Israel 
and were living near them. I mean, it's never a good friendship with the world is hatred towards God. Joshua makes friendship with these individuals that are not true disciples, that are not living as true disciples. If you make a friendship with people that are not living like true disciples, this could be what takes you out. It could stop you from winning the battle. Now, Joshua gets lucky, but let's keep reading. Verse 2 says, he and the people were very much alarmed at this because Gibeon was an important city, like one of the royal cities. It was larger than Ai, and all its men were good fighters. So Adonabezek, king of Jerusalem, appealed to Hoham, king of Hebron, Piram, king of Jareth, and Japheth, the king of Lachish, and Debir, king of Eglon. Come up and help me attack Gibeon, he said, because it has made a peace, it has made peace with Joshua and the Israelites. So Joshua's in trouble here. He's got all these enemies that have come on top of these non-Christian, quote-unquote, friends that he's built a relationship with. So the odds are totally stacked against him. But when the odds are stacked against you, God will fight for you. Verse 5. Then the five kings of the Amorites, the kings of Jerusalem, Hebron, Jareth, Lachish, and Eglon, joined forces. You know, sin always joins forces. It does, I'm telling you. Where there is pride, usually it starts with laziness. And where laziness comes in and pride comes in, before you know it, then you get the impurity going along. And all these kings are really reigning in your life. And you're not fighting the good fight. Well, they gang up on Joshua, gang up on the Gibeonites. And in verse 6, it says, the Gibeonites sent word to Joshua in the camp at Gilgal. Do not abandon your servants. Come up to us quickly and save us. These, are, these people from Gibeon are not the Israelites. They're not the Christians. But they had deep convictions. When God, when the odds are stacked against you, God will fight for you. We've got to be a people where those who are not true disciples don't have deeper convictions on this point than us. These people are like, oh, no, the odds are stacked against Joshua, your God will fight for you on our behalf. Please help us. Do you believe God will fight for you? Do you believe when the odds are stacked against you, God will fight for you? The Gibeonites, they send word, and, and he says, they say, don't abandon. Verse 7, so Joshua marched up from Gilgal with his entire army, the whole church, including all the best fighting men. The Lord said to Joshua, don't be afraid of them. I've given them into your hand. As the man of God, you need to communicate to God. When God stops speaking to you, that is the very judgment of God. You need to be afraid when you say, I'm not having good quiet times. Because that's saying, God is not speaking to me. And that's not a silence that is awesome. That is a silence that is deadly. Silence can become sin. Yet in Joshua's life as the leader, and I'm speaking to the leaders, we've got to hear from God. I want to hear some smoking nuggets, encouraging, challenging scriptures from you. Let me tell you something. This conference was really good. But throughout the year, I want to learn. I want the leaders in the London International Christian Church. I want the leaders in Stockholm, the leaders in Birmingham and Paris. I want to hear spiritual insights that strengthen the church, that strengthen me, that, that, that wow, God is speaking to you. So God speaks to Joshua and says, after an all-night march from Gilgal, Joshua took them by surprise. Verse 11. As they fled before Israel on the road down Beth Horon to Azek, the Lord hurled large hailstones down on them from the sky. And more of them died from the hailstones than were killed by the sword of the Israelites. Verse 13. 
The sun stopped in the middle of the sky and delayed going down for a full day. His prayer made the sun stop and extend the day. Joshua's prayer extended time. Joshua's prayer got outside of the natural norm. Your prayer has the power to go outside of the natural world. Your prayers, your righteous prayers have the power to do something outside. You know, God is outside of time, space, and matter. And this here, your prayers can get outside of time, outside of space, and outside of matter and do something to affect the universe. This is intense. A lot of people try to blow it away, but no. This is how powerful prayer is. It says, hey, God, will you fight for me? And the Bible says the sun stopped in the middle of the day. The, the day gets extended. It probably was a little bit of the struggle for everybody who had to march all night right there. But it says, there's never been a day like this before or since. A day when the Lord listened to a man. Surely the Lord was fighting for Israel. And the church said, is that not awesome? When, God, when the odds are stacked against you as they were here, God will fight for you. When the odds are stacked against you, overcoming depression, God will fight for you. God will fight for you. The NHS may not fight for you. They may, they may tell you, hey, come back in six months, and then I, have, I can tell you something. You need to put you on an appointment. But God will fight for you. When the odds are stacked against you in your marriage, God will fight for you. When the odds are stacked against you overcoming cancer, talk to Elena McKee. God will fight for you. When the odds are stacked against you overcoming illness and you need a miracle, come up to the front after worship service and talk to Mama Sue. God will fight for you. God will fight for you. God loves to show up and help people that others have counted out. I mean, these guys, these kings, they thought, oh, yeah, the Gibeonites are going to get taken out, even Joshua. And Joshua gets the victory because of his prayer. Um, We've got individuals that really embody this particular, this, this scripture, uh, this principle of, hey, when the odds are stacked against you, God will fight for you. I, I've got to lift up our sister Mary Jane. Mary Jane has been here since we really began the church. And it always saddens me because her, her brothers are some of my best friends. But they lost their faith. They stopped fighting for God, and they started fighting for their opinions. They stopped going by the word of God. They fell away. Mary Jane was heavily persecuted, heavily, heavily persecuted. I can't even go into details. She may even be able to argue that some of the emotional battles she lost, but she came back for a rematch. She's not only overcome those emotional, she, you know, she, she, she's doing great, but heavily persecuted. And through it all, she just said, you know what? Even with the odds stacked against me, even with my entire family turning their back on me, I've got the family of God, and God is fighting for me. In 2019, when you get persecuted, you need to know that your prayers can make a difference, and that when the odds are stacked against you, God will fight for you. You need to know that. I'm so inspired by our sister Vienna. I'm inspired by her. 
I'm real. I'm actually a little bit challenged by her too, as well. With her sharing time, oh my goodness, I better crank. I mean, these are some amazing people that are being raised up here. Sexual abuse by a family member. Exactly. You know what Vienna said? Father, I forgive you. I'm fighting the good fight, the fight of forgiveness. And today you saw a miracle. A woman who's overcome sexual abuse. Things that, you know, the world doesn't like to talk about. Overcome it. And she's appointed a women's ministry leader today. Odds are stacked against her. Sexual abuse, atheism, doesn't matter. When the odds are stacked against you, God will fight for you. For those of us that have been around a long time, we remember when we lost the kingdom, dare we say. We remember when the Henry Creek letter decimated everything. I remember I was in Portland. I remember seeing the church go from 300 to 90 to 25. And there were times where my prayers were just, I couldn't even, I couldn't even, I was so sad at times, I couldn't even pray. All I could do was sing. It was actually the very first time I thought about the word sanctuary. What I was singing, I didn't just do it in a Sunday morning. No, I went, oh, Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary. Pure and holy, tried and true. With, hold on, with thanksgiving, <laughs> not bitterness. <laughs> with thanksgiving, not skepticism. With thanksgiving, not a lack of trust. I don't know if we're going to make the same mistakes all over again. With thanksgiving, I will be a living sanctuary for the kingdom, for my husband, for my kids. No, for you. And that, I just start crying. I start crying. Odds stacked against the entire movement. Kip and Elena moved to Portland, Oregon. They had nobody with them. And I remember one time, Kip said something that I, I want to I die being able to say this. Kip looked me in the eye and he says, he says, uh, you know, Michael, all I got is my convictions. That is Bible. I don't want to be like that. I want to die with my convictions. I don't need anything else but my convictions. My convictions. I got my convictions. You realize that after the odds being stacked against us, doing it all over again, I was there at the very first midweek service with only 25 disciples. Do you realize that we have over 7,500 disciples all over the world? When the odds are stacked against you, God will fight for you. Number two, time for boot camp. It's time for boot camp. Prepare for battle. Life is not a playground. It's a battlefield. You may not have thought that, but it is a battlefield. Let's go to Joshua chapter five. Bring it in here. Joshua chapter five. Go for some boot camp here. It says in verse 1, <laughs> when all the Amorite kings west of uh, the Jordan and all the Canaanite kings along the coast heard how the Lord had dried up the, uh, dried up the Jordan before the Israelites 
until they crossed over, their hearts melted and they no longer had the courage to face the Israelites. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives, circumcise the Israelites. Circumcise them. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. I told you to go into battle. I know. I told you to go fight the good fight. I know, I know, I know, I know. I know. I told you that. But I want to weaken you right before the battle. Yeah, that's me. That's that's God. I want to make things harder. I want to weaken you before the. You know, we always want to be strong before we go into battle. God told Joshua, weaken them. Weaken them. Circumcise them. It takes time to heal from circumcision. Can I get an amen from the brothers on that one? It's, 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 at that time, the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives and circumcise the Israelites again. Did you see that? Again. Not again, do again. Wow. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the Israelites at Gibeah and Harlah. Now this is why, this is why he did so. All those who came out of Egypt, all the military age died in the desert on the way after leaving Egypt. He said, I got to make sure this group is totally sold out. All the people that came out had been circumcised, but all the people born in the desert during the journey from Egypt had not. The Israelites had moved about in the desert 40 years until all the men who were military age when they left Egypt had died since the Lord had not since since they had not obeyed the Lord, for the Lord had sworn to them that they would not see the land that he solemnly promised their, for, their fathers to give us a land flowing with milk and honey. So he raised up their sons in their place, and these were the ones Joshua circumcised. So Joshua had to get that next generation of guys, but it took circumcision, boot camp, cutting away things. Um, you know, and you think about military and you think about any, any movie you've seen with boot camp, you know, some drill sergeant, wake up! Wake up! Turn the lights on and everything. You're like, what in the world's going on? Get out! We're going to, we're headed out right now! And you're just like, oh, boot camp. But you kind of need that. You need someone to get in your face. You need someone to literally go, wake up! Uncomfortable. You know what I mean? Stop looking at pornography! Wake up! Stop being in a church that's autonomous. Wake up. Stop flirting with atheism as a Christian. Just believing that God doesn't exist in certain areas of the Bible. Stop doing that. Wake up. Boot camp. Circumcision is just cutting away things that, that, that are not needed. So boot camp, from, from my perspective here, is really cutting away sin. Let's cut the way, let, let, let's, let's cut away the sins. Let's cut away the sins. I got, I got a lot of sins. Don't worry. You probably won't say nothing I've not done. Pride, yep, done that one. Done that one. Impurity, yep. Got to protect my heart. Got to guard my heart there. Yep. Lust, yep. Got to guard my mind. Selfish ambition, yep. There are times last year I was like, yeah, we'll go. Yeah. I even caught myself. Good news email come out. I want to go to our section first. Don't you know your own good news email, Michael? I mean, what are you going to read it again for? I was like, because I'm prideful. I'm selfish and ambitious. I was like, I'm coming back for a rematch. I want the glory to go to others. I'm not doing that again. Cut that stuff out of my life. Boot camp. I think getting strengthened by the word of God is boot camp. 
I think having strong prayers is boot camp. I think getting strengthened by discipling is boot camp. I mean, I was shocked. One discipling time with Caspar and Ashley, and they are incredible. We just, we just love them anyway. We just had a little discipling time, and I'm like, oh, my goodness. Caspar, did you hear Caspar today? Boot camp. Discipling. That's, that's what did it. That boot camp. Are you guys with me there? Look at verse 13. It says, now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, are you for us or for our enemies? Tell me whose side are you fighting on? <laughs> he says, neither. <laughs> he replied, that's a scary moment. You get all circumcised, you go through boot camp, and God says, I'm, I'm not, I don't pick sides. God doesn't pick sides. No, we need to decide to get on God's side. When we get on God's side, the Lord will fight for us. We get on God's side. We, we circumcise. We get that boot camp going. We start. That's what this weekend was, really. It was boot camp. It was really to, to tell you how awesome you're not. To show all the weaknesses so that you can really, you, you feel the pain, you're hurt. And, and, but now you got to go, okay, I'm leaving the winter workshop getting on God's side. I'm going to leave not picking a side. I'm just going to get on God's side. Because he says, neither replied the commander's army of the Lord. I've now come. He says, then Joshua fell face down to the ground and reverence and asked, what message does my Lord have for the servant? The commander of the Lord of the army, take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Jericho was tightly shut up because the Israelites, no one went out and no one came in. Then the Lord said to Joshua, see, I have delivered Jericho into your hands along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. You know how the story goes. They get prepared, and it cranks. Um, it's awesome. It's awesome. And it said, I, I love it. I love verse 2. He says, then the Lord said to Joshua, see, I've delivered Jericho into your hands. I delivered. I delivered the west into your hands. Rebecca, Colby, I delivered Go to the boot camp, get circumcised, cut the away. Now it's time. I delivered them. I've delivered the north into your hands, Dominic. I've delivered the north. I've delivered them into your hands in Birmingham. Cut away everything. Get circumcised. Get, 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 get the boot camp going. I've delivered them into your hands. You won already. I'm with you. You just need to be with me. Tommy, well, don't worry about it. Amsterdam is waiting. I've delivered them into your hands. I've delivered them. I've delivered them. And here in London, England, we need to leave here circumcised. Cut away everything. Knowing God has delivered London into our hands. We also learn something powerful from this text as he meets the man of God. Public victories are, are, are won in private. That's what we learn. They got the victory. You know the story, right? But the victory was won in private. How are you going to win? How are you going to fight the good fight in 2019? Win it in private. Win it in your Bible study. Win it in your prayer. Win it with nobody there. Win it in private. The private victory is really how you're doing. And Joshua goes, man, I fall down in reverence. You know, when you took your sandals off, this is to go into someone's house. God shows up. Jesus in the incarnate Old Testament version, he shows up and says, this world is my house. Take off your sandals. And so he took off his sandals. It was pretty cool. Wow, the whole world is God's. So you give me that little section here. Okay, great. I feel good about it. And, of course, they took out Jericho. 
Public victories are won privately. Um, the guys that are ready for boot camp, they're ready to do it, are guys like Luke Snow. Luke Snow's ready. Luke Snow's ready for special ops. He's ready for special ops. He got a little bit of nervousness in him, a little bit. I can tell. I see it sometimes. But that's good because that means he cares. You know Paul Busari's ready as well. You see Paul Busari today? The only thing Paul's got to do is get a girlfriend. But let me tell you something. He is on the hunt. He's, he's, he's cutting away stuff. He says the old Paul has got I me. Mean, look at his hair. It's gone. He circumcised it right there. He's going for it. He's got the double-breasted on. He's like, I just need a woman who wants to fight the Lord's battle with me. I want to be in a full-time ministry. I want to be in the Lord's side. Those are my two Ebony and Ivory brothers. Please, guys. Let's get prepared for battle. Seriously. Let's really get prepared for battle in 2019. It's time that the entire church gets behind building the church. And lastly, nonstop fight for victory. It's a nonstop fight for victory. I just want to show you a simple thread quickly. In, 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 in Joshua 5, verse 1, it says, When all the Amorite kings west of the Jordan and all the Canaanites along the east coast heard, when they heard, how the Lord had dried up the Jordan. Look at chapter 9, verse 1. It says, now when all the kings west of the Jordan heard about these things. Look at chapter 10, verse 1. Adonabezek, king of Jerusalem, heard that Joshua had taken Israel or taken Ai. Chapter 11, verse 1. When Jabin, king of Hazor, heard of this. See, it's a nonstop fight. Why is it a nonstop fight? When they hear that you gave up atheism for the ministry. When they hear that you gave up pornography. When they hear. When they hear you gave up your education. When they hear. When the enemies hear that. When they hear that you believe in submission and you're a woman in the 21st century. That's sadly radical nowadays. When they hear that you're in full submission to your husbands in everything. When they hear that you are an alpha male. A man who makes an alpha male. You know, Jesus is the real alpha male. He's the alpha and the omega. He's the beginning and the end. He's the alpha male. I want to be like Jesus. When they hear that you've joined the sold-out movement, when they hear that you left the former fellowship, when they hear you left autonomy, when they hear you left your culture for your calling, when they hear that, when they hear those things, know that you've got to fight the good fight. It's a nonstop fight for victory. I'm inspired by Frank. Similani in Birmingham. I'm inspired by Christine Alamu. But it's time for us to fight the good fight, guys. In closing, 
a poem that sits next to my heart, and I pray that you get one that sits next to yours that inspires you to remember the battles that you lost, come back for a rematch in 2019. A poem that sits next to my heart that helps me go, okay, it's time to fight. It compares us as trees. The tree that never had to fight for sun and sky and air and light, that stood out on the open pane and always got its share of rain, never became a forest king, but lived and died a scrubby thing. The man who never had to toil to gain and farm his patch of soil, who never had to win his share of sun, sky, light, and air, never became a manly man, but lived and died as he began. Good timber doesn't grow with ease. The stronger winds, the stronger trees. The further sky, the greater length. The more the storm, the more the strength. By sun, by cold, by rain, by snow, in trees and men, good timber grows. Where thickest lies the forest growth, we find the patriarchs of both. They hold counsel to the stars. Broken branches show our scars. Many winds, much strife. It's time to fight the good fight. We would like to thank you for listening to that episode of the podcast. If you would like video versions of these episodes, whether it's sermon highlights or interviews, feel free to check us out on our website or view them on our YouTube channel. That's londonchurch.org.uk. That's L-O-N-D-O-N-C-H-U-R-C-H.org.uk. And for all other updates and information, whether it's services, events, or devotionals, you can find all that on our website also. Once again, we'd like to thank you for listening and we'll catch you on the next one.